Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking the U.S. Women's National Team's World Cup attack roster and some of the changes, dual nationals, uh, Ricky the Clown, Angel City Doc, Jersey Porn, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this uh, Wednesday, May 24th in the year 2023? Uh, doing well. Still buzzing over a fun evening in Santa Monica last night. So uh, for those that listened to uh, Monday's show, and I hope that you did, I guess it would be Tuesday's show coming out on your feed, um, we learned that Mossy was going to hit the town and go to see a documentary. Now, you had described it in, in the moment as a documentary about, uh, of the Abbey Road recording studio relative to the Beatles um, look, diving into all that. And if I remember correctly, there was an Apple documentary that came out, I don't know, six months ago, that was an incredible deep dive into that studio, but also specifically um, in a specific era. And I was thinking about it last couple of days. I was like, wait a second, is that the same documentary? And I was convinced that Mossy's just seen the exact same documentary that I saw all those months ago. But I come to find out that this is a completely different documentary. I think I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, this was I, long. I, don't know. I mean, this was like uh, they had taken like four hours of footage that they had. But they had much more, but they had distilled it down to I think four hours. So this was a long form type of documentary. It was amazing because you got you got to see the Beatles actually create songs in this incredible studio. Yeah, mine was a nice tight 90 minutes. Okay. It was directed by Paul McCartney's daughter Mary McCartney, who was there at the Arrow Theater last night after the movie. She did that's a the Q daughter, the daughter that's not Stella, right? Correct. Okay, got it. And uh, uh, what is, so is that? What she's a documentary. She's a photographer, but she stepped out of her comfort zone here to direct this documentary. She was delightful, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, the documentary was absolutely terrific. Uh, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Roger Waters, Elton John, Jimmy Page, uh, among others, all were prominently featured and described their experiences in the studio. It right. is an amazing history. Well, now, I'll, now I will definitely see it. By the way, for those Nepo babies or whatever they call them, uh, it, that's like the go-to thing, documentary filmmaker, you know, photographer or, or, uh, uh, or whatever. It's okay. I mean, your dad's Paul McCartney. You might as well use it to your advantage. Uh, incidentally, today is Bob Dylan's birthday. Oh. So tonight at the Arrow... They're showing uh, Don't Look Back and I'm Not There. Uh, I can't go because I am covering a women's CONCACAF under 20 match. That's right. And you won't go because, as you revealed to me recently, you are not a fan of Bob Dylan. I, I, am, I, am, I can appreciate the impact that he has made and I can appreciate the artistry and skill in writing some of these incredibly iconic songs and the poetry involved in it. Um, his voice drives me crazy in that it's it's... While it's a distinctive voice, it's distinctive for all the wrong reasons. Um, and so I think as a songwriter, pr pretty good, pretty damn good, you know, obviously elite. But as an actual performer, it, it, it bothers me. Yeah. And it doesn't move me in, in, any, in any way. Um, okay. So you saw that and it was a good time out. 
I went with my buddy Scott Norwood, uh-huh. and beforehand we went. We ate at Father's Office, which is a What's place that? that it's a burger spot in Santa Monica, which figures prominently in any best burger in LA discussions. It's an outstanding and place. Did oh, you get? Was it some bullshit burger that you got that has you know three levels of 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 bread and you know some meat that's only found in one square? No, nothing, nothing fancy. The controversial thing about that spot is you're not allowed any substitutions. They, they it make comes it as it comes. Blue that's... cheese, arugula, a certain type of lettuce. And All right, we... so first off, you're getting blue cheese on your burger. You're already fucked up. Okay. And, a, and arugula, is that what you just said? Yeah. Who gets arugula on their burger? I will say it, it looks weird on paper. It's delicious. I recommend it. We might we might have to do another food segment here. I'll bring right. it in and we can eat All it. All right. right. All right. Uh, let's see. What, uh, what did I watch? Oh. <clears throat> for the soccer folks out there, you know, anytime there's a soccer documentary. So there's a new uh, one on HBO, uh, Angel City. It's just called Angel City, and it follows the first year in existence of the expansion team that was, uh, I guess now still is, Angel City here in Los Angeles in the NWSL. And, um, you know, it's interesting. It's a, a three-parter, uh, three episodes, three-hour-long episodes. And it goes through the initial concept uh, you know, and and all of the celebrity, uh, including Natalie Portman and, and many others that have come to this project and have made it what it was or what it was and what it is now. And, you know, the whole notion and ambition of doing something bigger and better than anything that has been done in the past and obviously selling out the what now is BMO Stadium downtown and creating a, a brand that resonates not just in Los Angeles, but uh, around the world. And to, the, to, to a certain extent, they have done that. Um, you know, anytime you see these, these documentaries, I, I have been to Angel City Games. It is, it is my team here. But just the documentary, you have to also look at it just in terms of somebody who hasn't been to a game, hasn't seen anything. And if you're doing that, <laughs> then this this documentary, I mean, it comes across as like a a three hour glorified TED talk. And the club, the way that it is framed in this documentary it is almost much more of a uh, like a social experiment than an actual sports team. I don't know if that's that's good or bad when you're watching it. Um, Julie Ehrman, who is basically the head, I mean, it's kind of like an infomercial for her. She is front and center and stars uh, throughout it. Uh, Freya Kuhn, uh, who is the head coach right now, they go through that whole process, and I think she comes out of it looking really, really good as the coach uh, for this team. Um, and, and even her hiring is is interesting in the way that it's – uh, you know, that it's portrayed there and how adamant they were um, both internally from a, a team standpoint, but also externally from a fan base standpoint that when rumors came out that they were going to hire a, uh, a potentially hire a straight white male coach, uh, that that was quickly kiboshed and that uh, they obviously went in a completely different uh, direction there. But it was interesting to hear them talk about that and so many other things as it relates to what this team is that have nothing actually do to do with kicking a soccer ball. And so this was much more about like, or I think it was an attempt to be much bigger than just the, uh, the actual soccer playing. And in that sense, it, at times it, it turned me off, but I'm not their target audience. Let's be honest. So it was, but it's good. I think it's uh, it's worth the time, especially for soccer people out there that want to know a little bit more. I will check it out. Okay, cool. Uh, ready to light this candle? Let's do it. Um, all right. Uh, we are going to start off with, unfortunately, some, uh, some. well, it's bad news, but it's not necessarily surprising news. We are now, you know, I don't know what we are. I wish I knew uh, exactly, but we're, you know, 70, 60 days away from the Women's World Cup. And for the last year since uh, Katarina Macario um, burst on the scene, and then unfortunately got in, injured, we've been talking about the potential of her return. And it's been shrouded a little bit as to where she ultimately is. But the reason why is because, obviously, the U.S. going for their third uh, World Cup in a row and how important she potentially could be because she fundamentally changes the way that the team plays. She is an incredible talent. But we come to find out through her own words um, that she is not going to be available for the World Cup this summer. Now, we're hearing that she's back running and training and getting back. But I think she probably just took a look at the situation and kind of wanted to put 
um, you know, make, make, make a clear statement as to this is not going to happen. So it sucks for her. And from a practical standpoint, we lose out the opportunity to see, as I said, a player that I think fundamentally changes the way that this team plays. But it also opens up opportunities for, you know, 18-year-old Alyssa Thompson or, or, or someone to get uh, to get time. I think I think Thompson is definitely going to be part of this team, especially with this news that um, that Kat's not going to be uh, involved going forward. It's a massive blow. She is somebody who, prior to the injury, was emerging as a top five player in the world and somebody that could have been the star of this U.S. team and the star of this World Cup, frankly. So she's out. Mallory Swanson out as well. So it does force a major rethink for Vladko in the attack. Although, to your point, he does have options. Mm -hmm. Alex Morgan has reemerged, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, and others. So I think the U.S. will still put out a strong attack, a strong lineup. Still one of the contenders to win this World Cup, but this is certainly uh, bad news. There, There is plenty and enough talent there when it comes to putting the ball on the back of net for this team to still be the favorite, as, you know, as they were even before Kat got hurt. So th- this is not an excuse but still, even the best coaches in the world, you want all guns blazing. And this was a, a hell of a gun that unfortunately is not going to be there. It's worth noting the team that might have emerged as the favorite given the U.S.'s injuries is England. But they're dealing yep. with their own issues. They're going to be without Beth Mead, Fran Kirby, Leah Williamson. And, you know, we have the World Cup and we're going to hype it up. And I'm sure once we get to Australia, we'll be told by our bosses to focus on the players who are there and not the players who are not there. But this is a major story surrounding this tournament, all these injuries. There's something going on in the women's game that's going to rob us of a lot of the best players in the world not being there this summer. It's, it's really unfortunate. Uh, the U.S. in the same group as the Netherlands, Vivian Miedema, is not going to play. Even the best player in the world, Alexia Puteas, there's still some question marks surrounding her. So, yeah, it is. It also really messes up our preparation and research. <laughs> you know, where, where players that you, you think are going to be there and then they're not there. And then you have new players coming in and, you know, there's less and less uh, uh, background and knowledge when it, come, uh, when it comes to that. But it's still going to be, I think, an incredible World Cup. And, and uh, producer Sean tells me 57 days uh, as of this recording uh, until the World Cup. I can't believe that it's, it is upon us. Obviously, we'll have a, uh, a Gold Cup, a men's Gold Cup before that. But, you're going to blink and we're going to be down there in uh, in Sydney and uh, you know, bringing you uh, bring you to the World Cup. All right. So that's uh, that's bad news. Uh, maybe some good news or maybe long, long term types of good news. And I say maybe because, well, you'll see. Um, we continue to get dual nationals that are picking the great country of the United States of America as the country that they want to represent when it comes to the uh, soccer field. Yeah, I meant to mention this in our last couple of podcasts and I forgot. So I'm glad Sean put it in the rundown today. But yeah, this was lost in all the Balogun hoopla. Timothy Tillman also pledging allegiance to the United States. Uh, he represented Germany at youth level. Uh, he's a player who joined LAFC this season and has been very good. So he's a really nice addition to the midfield in the U.S. talent pool. Uh, the switch was approved by FIFA and the U.S. felt good enough about it that they already put him in that preliminary roster for the Nations League. So he is available for selection for... That competition, the semifinal against Mexico, and then you mentioned the Gold Cup, he could potentially play there. So, yeah, I think he is a player we will see this summer for sure. Uh, okay, but this is not a Balogun type of situation. It's not as if we were salivating and chasing him all over. And again, he's not going to play for Germany. So it's not like he had all of these options and these suitors running around screaming and yelling for him. And while, I'm, while the United States uh, Soccer Federation and the U.S. men's national team it's a nice to have. It's not a. It's not a need to have. And who knows? Maybe he comes good and really, you know, like I say, form is fallacy. And sometimes players that you say, ah, they're okay, they get to the the national program and they get with the national team and something clip clicks and they become even better than you thought that they actually were, or completely different than you thought that they actually were. So more is better in terms of the the group in the pool. And so to add a player like this to the pool, I yes, it's a feather in the cap. But it's not necessarily one that everybody was screaming and yelling for. You gave Burhalter credit for Balogun. Mm-hmm. Should we credit Bor Milutinovic for this one? Why is that? How far back are we taking uh, this? Exactly. It goes all, all the way back. Anybody that had any type of impact over the <laughs> last 40 years gets a feather. I'm just ha- handing out feathers all over the place. No, it does. It, again, this is happening on uh, Anthony Hudson's watch. And it was interesting, actually, in, in, the, uh, in the information coming out from U.S. Soccer, they called him the head coach as opposed to the interim head coach. I mean, I, I do think that he is going to be involved in the potential candidates out there. 
I don't think he has a lot of uh, of chance of actually uh, of actually doing it. But for someone that has been you know given this, it is an opportunity. And yes, it's weird at times. He's made the most of it, and we'll see if we uh, if we see and how many of these players we see in uh, in this summer's games, whether it's Gold Cup or um, let's see. Uh, uh, Nations League, Nations League, right? yes. Yeah, there we go. All right, what else? Staying with the U.S. men, but dropping down into the youth ranks, uh, the United States with two wins out of two at the Under-20 World Cup. The latest victory, 3-0 over Fiji. All the goals in the second half. Diego Luna, Kate Cowan, Caleb Wiley. The U.S. not through yet, but in excellent shape to advance from their group, remembering that the top two in each group and the four best third-place finishers advance. So I ex- fully expect them to be in the knockout rounds. And I have to say... Uh, this team could go far and make some real noise in this competition. Remember, the under-20 and under-17 World Cups were canceled in 2021 because of COVID. The U.S. didn't qualify for the Olympics. So this is the first time uh, on a global stage here that the U.S. have been able to show off all this great young talent they've been producing the last few years, and they are seizing that opportunity. I've been very impressed with this team, and I think it's going to be one of the big talking points coming out of this tournament, uh, how much young talent the U.S. has now. All right, so wait a second. They won their first game 1-0. The second game, they won 3-0. So they're plus uh, four when it comes to goal differential, and they're undefeated, and yet they still are in danger of not going through? I mean, you, you said the best, one of, possibly one of the best uh, third-place teams, too. So they would really have to screw up to not go As through. As we sit here today, they're not officially, officially okay. through, but uh, 99%. So, uh, have they already faced the most difficult team, uh, and that would be Ecuador, relative to their final game here against Slovakia? I think so, yeah. Ecuador beat Slovakia. I would say they're the next best team in the group, and the U.S. already beat them. I, I think they'll take care of Slovakia as well. Okay, but so you're doing what we, we have done and traditionally you do, where it's you, you extrapolate it out to, uh, to, to success. And look, all things being equal, obviously I, in my expert opinion, think that doing well uh, at a Youth World Cup or at youth tournaments is good. It's good for the team, it's good for the mentality, and it's good for the individual players. But we've certainly seen over the years that it doesn't always translate out to uh, to the national team. But you're, you are seeing some talent here that is getting you excited about the future in you know, four years, eight years and stuff like that. Yeah, particularly Diego Luna. Yeah. He's a player that I've been getting tweets about. And yeah, I, I do like him a lot. I hope he gets uh, some playing time with RSL after this tournament because he is very exciting. In the same vein, and I know you had mentioned earlier that you got to go and work uh, and do a, uh, some women's soccer later on, uh, uh, youth uh, women's national team. Are you seeing some players there that potentially uh, could feature going forward? I know we're 50-some days away uh, from the uh, Women's World Cup, but there will be other Women's World Cups coming down the line. Yeah, the CONCACAF Women's Under-20 Championship is upon us. The U.S. has won the last two editions of this tournament. This tournament qualifies teams for the uh, Under-20 Women's World Cup next year. And yeah, this is a highly touted U.S. squad. Uh, I'm excited to get a look at it. I think I'm going to see... We've talked about the U.S. women in the present as far as this summer's World Cup, and I'm going to get a sneak peek at the future and players that could represent the U.S. in subsequent Women's World Cup. And by the way, not just represent the U.S., because it's one thing to represent your country in a World Cup. It's a whole other thing to represent your country in a World Cup that potentially could be played in your own country. And uh, that is on the cards uh, for the United States, potentially in the future. So maybe we are going to see some of these young women uh, go, uh, matriculate up to the full national team and then represent the U.S. in a World Cup played in the uh, in the U.S. And that, my friends, can change your life, uh, believe me. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got a uh, U.S. Open Cup recap uh, and then a look to the uh, weekend when it comes to MLS and uh, leagues around the world. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we got some Open Cup action, Mossy. Shall we uh, start off with that? Yeah, the round of 16 off and running. We had uh, four games on Tuesday night. The marquee fixture was another edition of El Trafico. Uh, the LA Galaxy picking up a 2-0 victory over a second string LAFC side, it must be said. <laughs> some may say third string, but okay. <laughs> um, Ricky Pooge among the scores, a sensational solo effort. 
And then he mimicked Messi's iconic celebration uh, at the Bernabeu back in 2017. Uh, Jesus Ferreira did this as well recently. So I guess this has become the new thing to do this kind of celebration. Uh, but it was not appreciated from the LAFC side, which led to a curious moment during a post-match interview that Ricky Puj was uh, giving. <laughs> All right. So if, if you didn't see or, or, hear, or hear that clearly, um, Giorgio Chiellini is walking in the background as Ricky Puj is doing an interview. <laughs> And as he's walking by, he turns, recognizes uh, who it is, and screams out "payaso," which evidently means clown um, in uh, in Spanish. And again, the celebration was done right in front of the three uh, three two uh, five two supporters section there. And you know, Messi's got now his iconic type of celebration that is mimicked uh, by players, as Ronaldo has his, and so that just is kind of happens. Um, you know, that Giorgio goes out of his way <laughs> to heckle him at this point. Stazito, Giorgio, okay? I mean, relax. Calmate. Uh, unlike, but, so first off, I should say this about Ricky Puj, and, and this, and last night only confirmed. He is one of the best players in the league, okay? Uh, he is playing on one of the most average and certainly one of the worst LA Galaxy teams that we have seen. That is not his fault. That's just the reality of the situation. But unlike Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Ricky Puj plays every game, unless he's got a red card and has to, has to sit out. Unlike Giorgio Chiellini, uh, he is, as I said, one of the best players in Major League Soccer right now. Unlike Giorgio Chiellini, um, he was celebrating in that moment a goal that any player would celebrate. And one of the best goals that we will see this year. And unlike Giorgio Colini, like I said, he plays for a crap team and he still manages to shine. Now, yes, I guess Ricky should have some perspective in that they were playing an El Trafico in name only, in that they were playing an LAFC team that Steve Terundolo was very clear, was incredibly rotated, B, C, whatever it is. But it's still El Trafico. You're still playing away. And LAFC, by the way, you still sold tickets to this game. And your fans were there, which is why Giorgio Collini got all uh, bent out of shape. Uh, all those thousands of people that were there, they paid money to see LAFC. And what they paid money to see was LAFC get their ass handed to by their biggest rival. Now, they have bigger fish to fry next next uh, next week, obviously, with CONCACAF Champions, uh, Champions League looming. I, I get all that. But I love Giorgio Chiellini, but this was this was kind of petty, and this this was kind of a uh, of a bad look. Giorgio's going to have plenty of uh, opportunity, and there's going to be plenty of success. And like I said, much bigger fish to fry when it comes to LAFC. Give Ricky Puj and the LA Galaxy their uh, their moment right here. I had no problem with it, and um, you know if you're so bent out of shape about it, then maybe you should have been on the field and played because I don't think you've only played five games or something like this. And you're right. I refer to it as a second string LAFC side. It's much worse than that. They were uh, young, inexperienced LAFC by design. And I get it. But if you're not going to take the uh, the tournament seriously, then fine. You know, let the to the, you know, the, the spoils are going to go to not just the opposition, but like I said, your big rival in your own stadium. So it's on Steve Turundel and, it's, and not gonna, they're not going to lose any sleep over it. But Anyway, uh, what else? Uh, oh, by the way, we should uh, mention the other games. Uh, Red Bull uh, uh, w uh, at home lost to Cincinnati in penalties. Houston crushed Minnesota uh, in Houston. And then Miami, Nashville, Miami ended up, uh, ended up winning, even though there was a long weather delay down there. Remember last year, Mossy, when we would, <laughs> we would try to watch Miami in our Miami games? And almost every other game, there was a weather delay. They haven't had one yet this year, but the weather gods uh, did not shine on, uh, on the game, and there was a, a long delay down there. So Miami goes through, Houston goes through, uh, Cincinnati goes through on the road, and like we said, uh, the LA Galaxy go through. So four more around the 16 games still to come. The two non-MLS teams still in the field, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds face Columbus, the Birmingham Legion face Charlotte. And I hope they win. I hope Pittsburgh wins, um, and I hope that uh, the Birmingham Legion wins, because it's fun. It's 
it's romantic, if you will. Uh, what are we looking at this weekend when it comes to, uh, to MLS? Uh, we've got San Jose hosting Dallas. Uh, this matchup features both Christian Espinosa and Jesus Ferreira, two players who are uh, near the top of the scoring charts with eight goals. Um, so uh be exciting to watch them. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> How do you solve a problem like Jesus, Jesus Ferreira? Do you think you think Jesus Ferreira is a elite soccer player, or is he just an elite soccer player for MLS? Uh, elite soccer player for MLS. Okay, that's uh, that's fine. But you can only do what you can do. You can only play in the league that you are playing in. And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about how MLS can either, in reality, or create the perception that you are regressing. So uh, that's a little tease for, for later on. But Jesus, keep doing what you're doing. Keep scoring goals. Uh, he's going to be part of the uh, the men's national team this summer, like it or not, even with Balogun coming into the, uh, the, the situation. And a lot of people don't like it, but tough. He does the most difficult thing to do in the game, which is put the ball in the back of the net. Another player who raises that interesting question of, is he elite or just elite by MLS standards is Hani Mukhtar. He's having another terrific season, the reigning MVP. Uh, Nashville will host Columbus on FS1. Hani Mukhtar with eight goals and six assists this season. Yeah, I mean, if you if you shut him down, and that is a big if, and consistently he has been able to get free even when people are marking him, even when they're game planning for him, and he is worth the price of admission. He is fun to watch, and God forbid that he goes down because Nashville would be in big, big trouble from an attacking perspective, because it all goes through him, and yet it all works constantly. Uh, SKC Portland on Fox. Uh, we've talked about SKC's uh, season so far, Peter Vermes, so we'll see what they can do. And another in the long line of you know these, these coaches that are still on the hot seat, um, you know, Peter Vermes, he, he started to crawl out there, and then... You know, they, they go up and they go down. This this is going to be interesting because Portland is not a great team. And now Sporting KC is playing at uh, playing at home. This is desperation time from a Sporting KC. If they were to lose to Portland at home on Fox, yeah, I mean, however hot the seat is, and I think it's hotter for someone like Bob Bradley, but that, that, that would be a problem for Peter Vermes again. A bonus one, Atlanta face Orlando. Can I provide sure. a little Brazilian perspective on the Luis Araujo to Flamengo transfer, which sure. has a lot of people scratching their heads? Sure. Uh, a few things to keep in mind here. Uh, Brazilian football has an absolutely insane calendar, which leads to bloated squads because there's this idea that you can't have too many players to be able to navigate through that crazy calendar. Flamengo have more money than they know what to do with. They are the richest club in South America by far. They just hired a manager in Jorge Sampaoli who is notorious for demanding lots of signings. This guy, you could hand a Manchester City squad and he would look at it and say that he needs a bunch of new players. And the other thing that I think really benefited Atlanta here is the fact that Brazilians don't follow MLS that closely. Reading all the articles in the Brazilian media, there seems to be no acknowledgement that uh, acquiring Luis Araujo is a massive reclamation project. You're signing a player that over the last 12 months has objectively been terrible, right. and yet it's being treated like this great signing. It's, when they talk about his pedigree, it's all about Sao Paulo early in his career and Lil, and they kind of yada yada the MLS part. Uh, so the end result is you get what I think is a horrible signing from Flamengo's perspective. There was no reason for them to spend this kind of money on Luis Araujo, given the attacking players they already have, and a dream development for Atlanta. They have to be doing cartwheels to be able to get this salary off the books, clear a DP slot, and virtually break even on the transfer fee. Flamengo are paying almost what Atlanta paid uh, to Lil. So, and, and by the way, Flamengo this past offseason were actually briefly linked with Douglas Costa. So, they seem to be on this mission to help MLS teams get out from their horrible signings, and they do it here with Atlanta and so, Luis Araujo. So Jesus Ferreira is an elite player because of MLS, and Araujo is an elite player in spite of <laughs> MLS. <laughs> All right, listen. I mean, drive him to uh, uh, drive him to the airport. All right, <laughs> if if you're going to get money and you're going to get someone off your books from Atlanta perspective, that like like we said. Uh, is is not somebody that you need go for it garth and, and he's gonna keep playing for atlanta until the deal kicks in although he, he did pick up a red card in their last right. match so exactly. whatever 
Um, all right, all right. Anyway, uh, lots of uh, lots of games on the books. We you know we mentioned the LA Galaxy. Can they use the midweek game uh, to continue on? Because while they go through in, in the U.S. Open Cup, it doesn't help them in terms of their struggles uh, in uh, in the actual in the actual league. Seattle comes back home against uh, New York and uh, coming off of that uh, coming off of that loss and i'm always fascinated when st louis just the, the whole st louis story and and are they able to maintain it you know we've talked so much about um arsenal and you know the the uh, tortoise and the hare type of type of thing they host vancouver vancouver's a better team this year than they have been in the past but you know st louis has come out of a uh, of a crash down to reality and yet the uh, you know the big rivalry game last week they they crushed SKC so we'll see if they can continue on uh, when it comes to that. All right, where should we go now? I do want to mention the League MX Clausura uh, final. Yep. We've been talking about this on recent pods. It is Tigres against uh, Chivas Guadalajara. The first leg Thursday night at the Estadio Universitario. Chivas won there two one in the regular season, and then the second leg will be Sunday in Guadalajara at the Estadio Akron. Um, so th- this should be a very good final, and on Monday, our, our next show, early next week, we'll be able to crown a new League MX champion. Um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's still no promotion relegation when it comes to League MX, right? Uh, no, they did away with it recently. And I think they just reaffirmed that they are going to continue on with that for, uh, for a little bit. So could the worm be turning the other way? What if more I, leagues I, go I, that route? Mossy. <laughs> if you went and asked the ownership uh, and the existing ownership of all the first divisions, if they could close up the shop, absolutely they would. Absolutely. But that, it's very, very difficult. The fact that Liga MX was able to put the genie back in the bottle, that that's pretty incredible because I don't think you can do that in many other places. Um, and, and it, you know, it was relative to some real financial problems and challenges going forward. And you have to have the power to be able uh, to be able to do that. So I don't know. Uh, what else, Masi? Uh, moving to Europe oh, okay. and specifically Germany. It's uh, on, baby. It's on. It all comes down to this Saturday, the final round of the Bundesliga campaign. Dortmund with a two point lead over Bayern. Dortmund will host Mainz. Bayern away to Cologne. Those matches kick off simultaneously. It is in Dortmund's hands. They have a chance to capture their first Bundesliga title since 2012 under Jurgen Klopp and to end Bayern's streak at 10 in a row. And obviously, you know, having Gio Reyna has made the difference. It even puts them in the position to possibly win this. So you're not just for, for Gio Reyna, because I think it would be good for him. Um, but I, I, and I, I want this to happen. I think it's important for the Bundesliga to be able to have these moments and point to it. Because, you know, we, we talk about the the lack of parity in a lot of these leagues and your top two, three, maybe it's four when it comes to the EPL. But for the most part, when it came to the Bundesliga, it was not just top heavy, it's one up there in terms of uh, Bayern Munich. So please, please don't screw this up, Dortmund. And we should note, Bayern have the much better goal difference. So yeah, if yeah. they were to win their game, Dortmund needs to win theirs. A draw would hand the title to Bayern in that scenario. So... Uh, <laughs> oh, Mossy. It, it is amazing that Edin Terzic could be the manager to capture this title. He's a guy who was an assistant under Lucien Favre, and then when Favre got sacked, he took over on an interim basis, actually won a German Cup with Holland and Sancho leading the way. Uh, but then it wasn't even a thought of giving him the job permanently. They brought in Marco Rosa and Terzic. They gave him a front office job. And then when they got rid of Rosa and hired Terzic, it was kind of a head scratcher. Like, I didn't even realize this guy was on a level where he would get the job permanently. And yet, lo and behold, he's one win away from being the guy that wins the Bundesliga for Maybe them. Maybe he's an Anthony Hudson. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's doing the job. So, but the job is not done yet. So, Achtung, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it, Dortmund. (laughs) Switching to England, where the title race is over. We know Manchester City have already won it. Uh, So, all the drama is at the bottom of the table. Uh, America's team, Leeds United, they will host Tottenham. They are currently 19th. Uh, They need a win to have any chance to stay up. And even then, they need some help. Uh, Everton and Leicester need to slip up in their games. We don't have to go through all the scenarios, but the long and short of it is uh, Leeds have to do something that they have not been very good at, uh, which is winning uh, matches. And yet, when I talk to Spurs fans, uh, they cannot get any more down on their team. So much so that they've, they've managed to convince themselves and indirectly me that this is actually a good matchup for Leeds. Well, I've been saying it. I think it's a great match. I think Leeds win, but they might get burned by the fact that 
Everton are home to Bournemouth. Leicester are home to West Ham. Those are highly winnable games as well against teams that have nothing to play for. So Leeds might end up winning and still going down because those teams handle their business as well. You really think that Leeds win against Spurs because Spurs are so bad? Or because the, there's the desperate... I mean, it could be a combination of all this kind of stuff. But Yeah, uh, Spurs, they can't wait for this season to be over. They have had it. I mean, they're not even trying anymore. With the exception of Harry Kane, who, by the way, continues scoring goals and has had an amazing campaign that's been overshadowed by Holland. All right. Okay. Well... Can I just introduce yeah. a controversial thought to this conversation? Of course. That's all that's the ones we want. Uh, Americans all season have been rooting for Leeds United, but mm -hmm. could you not argue that it might be better if Leeds do go down so that all these American players can get the heck out of there yes, and go somewhere Yes, Mossy. It's not as controversial <laughs> as you think. I mean, if you're looking at it, as we talk about through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses, ultimately, it's not about the team. It's about the Americans on the team that provide that connection and that affinity that we have. And it's, it's temporary, right? It's uh, an affinity that comes and goes with, with, with them being there. So yeah, I don't want what's best for Leeds. I want what's best for Brendan Aronson and Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams. I don't want what's best for Fulham. I want what's best for Jedi and for Tim Ree. And because that's the way, and we've talked about this before uh, on the pod, that's the reason why people are tuning in. They're not tuning in because they like these teams. They like these teams because they have Americans involved. So yeah, if if Leeds going down puts American players in better situations, in better circumstances, and by the way, this is all relative to not just their development, but their development that then they can translate to the national team and, and have the national team be better, that's what I want. So absolutely. Go down, Leeds. Go down now if you are going to make America better. Uh, we have a loyal listener, James, who's a big Leeds fan. He's probably not uh, too happy with us right now. Um, I did mention the title race is over. Uh, top four pretty much as well. Newcastle clinched on Monday with their draw against Leicester. Manchester United play tomorrow against Chelsea. They only need a point in that game to secure top four. So uh, that's all pretty much done and dusted as well. It re really is all about the relegation battle and also about who's going up because this Saturday we have the championship uh, promotion playoff final between Coventry City and Lutontown. Lutontown's starting goalkeeper is Ethan Horvath, who is on loan from Nottingham Forest, who have already clinched safety. Um, so, you know, this is... This has been dubbed the richest game in soccer yes. because of the money you stand to gain moving up from the championship to the Premier League. Oh, so it's not about competition. It's not about drama. It's not about the theater and the romance of it. It's actually about the money? Yes. Oh, and in okay. fact, the Premier League right now is so much wealthier than all other leagues that whoever wins this game automatically becomes one of the richest clubs in Europe and can start poaching players from like top teams in Serie A and the Bundesliga. I mean, that's that's just the reality of where you. we are. How dare you, Mossy? That is just that you would think of it in those terms. I just I can't even believe it. So when uh, Gio Reyna is playing for Luton Town next season, and you'll remember that it was because they won this game. I, I think I've asked you this before, but just again, so we have it on the record. You have Everton escaping the drop, right? Uh, when it comes to the three now. Yes. Obviously, Southampton's already going down. Leeds in 19th. You think they're going down too? Yes. Yes. And then Leicester? Yeah. I think the bottom three right now will stay, stay the bottom the same. three. Right. Got I, yeah. Wow. Everton. Incredible. Incredible. All right. Um, what else we got? Uh, in Spain, an update on the Vinicius Jr. situation. I have to say, unpopular opinion, I actually think the Spanish authorities are meeting the moment here and have handled this pretty well. Just in the 48 hours or so since the match occurred and we had those horrible incidents with Vinicius Jr. racially abused and then Real Madrid's away loss to Valencia, they uh, closed down a section of the Mestalla Stadium where the chants were emanating from. That's going to be closed for the next five uh, games. They identified some of the fans that were leading the chants, uh, they've been arrested for hate crimes. Uh, they fined Valencia. Vinicius had his red card rescinded that he picked up later on in that match. They felt like, I mean, the guy's mental state was justifiably you know, thrown off by uh, getting racially abused. Yep. And uh, I read somewhere that the referee uh, who didn't observe the protocol correctly should have stopped the match and didn't. He's been fired. So actually, a lot of news coming down relating to this incident. Uh, they, it does seem to that the Spanish authorities realized this was one they have to really take seriously. Yeah, and, and you know they're doing multiple things here, to, but we've seen all of these things done in the past, whether it's fining, whether it's you know shutting down areas of the stands, whether it is obviously going after the individuals. And inevitably, 
you're going to have people that are, you know, being being punished that had nothing to do with it and certainly didn't do anything wrong. And, and I've even, you know, I was even reading earlier today how, you know, people are pushing back on the the closing down of the stands because if if you were just sitting there having a good time enjoying the game and didn't do anything, now you are ultimately getting punished. And this is the proverbial, you know, one rotten apple or ruins the entire bunch. But that's unfortunately what you what you have to do. Is it fair? I don't know. And ultimately, do these people have a case in saying, hey, this is other people and they're horrible and despicable and we want you to deal with them, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and ultimately we are still your fans and we are ultimately getting uh, ultimately getting punished. But again, I don't I don't see if there are any other ways of at least attempting to deal and ultimately trying to fix this situation, except, you know, continuing to do the things that have been done in the past, do them bigger. And yeah, in that net, people are going to be caught that had absolutely nothing to do with it. And you're going to have to, in this case, people are going to suffer that didn't break the law and weren't assholes. And that's just part of, uh, I guess, the uh, the trade-off of going to a game and being involved in uh, a group. Yeah, Real Madrid play later today. Although Vinicius's red card was rescinded, uh, he's, not, he's not in the yeah. squad. They decided, you know, take a day off to cool your head. Remember, Real Madrid are out of any competition. They're not playing for anything right now. And I'll reiterate what I said earlier this week. This is not just a, a problem for La Liga, and this is not just a problem for the uh, the teams involved. This is a problem for Spain. And I think I asked you this uh, this earlier. Do you think that this has gotten to the point where Vinicius actually looks to go someplace else? I don't think so. Uh, he's the biggest star on the biggest club in the world. And, you know, I know this is a cliche, but that would be the racist winning. You know, you want this problem to be resolved rather than him getting chased out of Spain. Yeah, I mean, none of us are in his shoes. And so what he's experiencing, we can... We can only imagine. I do find some of these stories gross where you see like PSG monitoring the Vinicius situation, ready to pounce. You know, I don't know. Can we like not try to turn this into like some juicy transfer rumor story? Well, you know? I mean, if <laughs> and this is a big if, like you said, but if he really has gotten to the point where this is this is not worth it for him. And, you know, only, you only live once. He's going to he's going to have plenty of suitors and he will be able to play plenty of money. But if he wants to do it in a place where he doesn't have to face <clears throat> this type of stuff on a continual basis. Obviously, he's contractually obligated to Real Madrid, but you know he and his and his lawyers and agents they could argue that he has been put in a in a dangerous type of situation and in a situation that's not tenable, and that would be really a, an interesting type of case if they came and said, "Look, the contract has to be null and void." Because I am in a situation where I am not safe, where I am not secure, and nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, it's just continued on. And then, you know, to see people come and say, oh, okay, well, where would he go? If, if he had to go, let's say if you, if, if, where, would, where would he be best? From a, from a soccer perspective, obviously lifestyle would dictate it, but from a soccer perspective, where would you like to see him? If he couldn't play in Spain? Nah, some big club in England? Well, what's that? You know, would you want him to play at Man City? Would you want him to play at Arsenal? Would you want him to play Manchester United? Wait, if, if we went to Arsenal, that would be bad news for Martinelli. The guy's already blocking his path on the national team for the next <laughs> 10 years, and then he's going to do it at club level as well. <laughs> this guy, this guy. <laughs> All right, listen. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about it in, in, in soccer terms, but the reality is that this is much bigger than soccer and that the, the personal part of it obviously has taken a toll and is horrible and ridiculous for him or anybody to have to deal with this on a consistent uh, basis. Two, two more miscellaneous notes as we travel around Europe. Uh, you mentioned PSG. They can clinch the uh, Ligue 1 title this upcoming weekend, which would be very exciting for them. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, the, the celebrations will be off the hook. And then number two, only in Italy can this be handled this way. Juve have now been docked <laughs> 10 points. Uh, the, I saw that. the case got sent back to court, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is a different court than the one that docked them the There's 15. always another court yes. in Italy, and all this uh, other layer of bureaucracy. So that knocked them down to seventh. So if this holds, they are likely going to miss out on the Champions League, although they're appealing this one. So. Of course. 
there's always an appeal too. So you never know who actually is going to play in Champions League come this uh, come this fall. All right, uh, we've taken you around to a bunch of different games. So enjoy all of those coming up uh, coming up this weekend. So we take another break. Yep. All right, we'll be back, and when we get back, uh, oh yeah, it's Ask Alexi time. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your questions, comments, and concerns. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi or Ask Mossy out there on all the social media platforms. And by the way, our social media handle uh, on all those platforms is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. All right, what do the folks have uh, this episode, Mossy? Uh, we have a couple of voicemails. Let's take a listen to the first one right now. Hey, Alexi and Mossy. It's Chase from Dallas. Um, I had a question about European soccer as compared to American soccer. We've been talking a lot on the podcast lately about the comparison between the two and how U.S. soccer is behind. But I thought about the fact that the top three players basically in the NBA are all foreign and Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I was wondering, uh, what are the differences between the reach that basketball has gotten overseas in Europe and how soccer has gotten overseas to America? And why is America so behind in the soccer aspect? Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Chase, for listening and for your question. Uh, you know, that's interesting. And, Mossy, here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little far afield when it comes to basketball. Raise my hand. Don't know a whole lot about it. But from what I've read over the years, part of the reason for the explosion and the influx of um, foreign players into the NBA is a practical one, right? The, um, the technique and the ability and the talent when it comes to a lot, to be quite honest, the fundamentals, especially when it comes to three-point shooting and just consistency and... Um, uh, tactical awareness, all that kind of stuff. That has been something that has been ingrained in a lot of these basketball clubs and in the basketball culture in Europe for years. And while the NBA kind of turned to the dunking and the showtiming types of things, what ended up happening was a lot of these coaches and a lot of these teams said, just from a pure basketball standpoint, I can use these players, these European players. They're much more effective. They're much more consistent. They're much more I don't know, maybe even coachable or whatever. And that's why they became so valuable and attractive. Am I, am I off base in that type of rudimentary assessment? No, that's fair. There is that perception, yeah. Okay. So, so you first have to understand that the actual way the game is played benefits many of the European-style players, and obviously many of them being European. The way that the game has played from a soccer perspective... I don't think is necessarily that much or even close to dramatically different when it comes to what is played in MLS uh, and in the United States or what is played over in Europe. So what would have to happen for a major uh, exodus and importation of American talent from a pure um, competitive standpoint would be that American players, whether they are actual Americans or whether they're just coming from America, are doing something different and more beneficial in terms of what they are doing. Now, you know, for a long time, the U.S., the major U.S. export when it came to soccer players was goalkeepers. And, you know, you had a head start and advantage being from a culture that used your hands, that played a bunch of different sports, and we produced a lot of different goalkeepers. The goalkeeper position fundamentally changed 20 years ago, more than, more than that, but certainly over the last 20 years. Not just you couldn't play the ball back to the goalkeeper, but the necessity of being able to play with your feet. That would be something that could provide an exodus. If we were producing goalkeepers that were so good with their feet that someone like Pep says, listen, I can have this shot stopper from wherever it is in Europe, but I want not only this shot stopper, but somebody that actually plays that sweeper keeper role, that would be something that would be attractive. But I just don't see any time 
where the compare and contrast is happening, where players coming from America, from a pure technical standpoint, are doing anything that much more valuable. As a matter of fact, you would probably argue many people over there that they're not as valuable because they're not as able to do the types of things. Now, there's other things that I do think it make it attractive. Number one, just pure economics and I guess the relative inexpensive nature of some of this, uh, this talent relative to, the rest of, uh, relative to the rest of the world. And yes, I do think the background at times of American players can be valuable, but I just think it's a real apples and oranges type of situation when you're comparing basketball to, uh, uh, to soccer. So I don't know. I, 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 that's my first initial reaction. Can we talk a little NBA briefly? Absolutely. I think our listeners and viewers, that's exactly what they tune in for. Uh, the caller mentioned Nikola Jokic. He is a Serbian center on the Denver Nuggets. He is the best player in the NBA. This guy is unbelievable. Two-time MVP. The Nuggets. He's seven-something, and yet he, he plays multiple positions and plays them well. Huh? How about that? Very How about this good, guy? Very good. Uh, the Nuggets just swept the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Which I, isn't that big a deal. But anyway. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to win the title. We still don't know their opponent because last night Miami failed to finish off Boston. They're up 3-1 in that series. And as a New York Yankees fan who lived through the 2004 ALCS, uh, I would tell Miami, finish this off quickly because if if this snowballs, I mean, Bill Simmons twisted the knife on Twitter. He posted a picture of Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez, and he said, I wish those two guys were involved in this series, referencing the great comeback the Red Sox had in 2004. So, yeah, I don't know. The Red Sox might actually, I mean, the Red Sox, the Celtics might actually pull this off, and uh, which would be absolutely remarkable to come from 3-0 down to win a series. Uh, so we'll see. I, I will say, you know, bringing it back to soccer, if I may. Uh, uh, I guess. <laughs> There, there, there have been times over the years where, um, either publicly or privately, uh, I've either you know seen people talk about uh, and heard people talk about it or talk to people where there is, and I know it's a stereotype and a generalization, but there is this generalization where American players are coachable and will do things and will be open to doing things that has garnered, I think, a lot of respect and appreciation out there. But, that, I, but I don't think that that's necessarily enough to provide this mass, uh, mass exodus, you know? And, and I guess the, the surest way of doing something like that would be, as we talk about all the time, what's the most difficult thing to do? Score goals. And if an Erlen Holland type of pipeline were to develop from the U.S. where you know you are getting a specific type of player, and obviously if it's a goal scorer, that makes it that much more valuable, that you can just go back to that well. Then we would see, because as we've seen with the NBA, and by the way, the NHL, it's about winning. And nobody cares ultimately where these players necessarily uh, are from. And it's not, I'm not talking about the lead situation that we talked about earlier, where you're you're spreading your global brand, and that affinity comes from that uh that nationality. You know, I'm talking about from a pure coaching standpoint. The coaches want to win. And so they will go out and if it's just up to them, they're going to get the best players regardless of where of where they come from. And the ones that they can coach, the ones that have the fundamentals down from an NBA perspective and from an NHL perspective have oftentimes and in in many cases in, in vast numbers come from places other than uh, than the U.S. So I don't know. We'll see. But it's a it's an interesting conversation, Chase, and I appreciate uh, you bringing it up. And I hope at some point American players, like I said, whether they're American or whether they're just playing in America, their value increases because people recognize that they can get great players and they can get them for cheaper than other places in the world. Uh, we have another voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi, I'm Rolando, a Los Angelino living in the heart of America, Waynesville, Missouri. I'm interested to hear if I'm way off base about the Mexican national team's recent woes. I think they've lost their mojo because a good number of their players are now playing abroad and many in the MLS. I'm not trying to disparage the MLS, but the Mexican players always had their own particular style and they stayed home to play in their league. Also, I want to let you know, you and I share a historic moment in U.S. soccer history. I was there at the Rose Bowl in 1994 to see you defeat mighty Colombia. I was there with my brother and Peruvian mother who introduced me to soccer. My mom would go on and talk about that day every chance she got. Anyway, keep up the good work. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Rolando, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for 
you know, being a part of all of this incredible soccer history, uh, going back to 1994, I too remember it, remember it well. And I'm, I'm so glad that your mother had the, uh, incredible foresight and intelligence to introduce you to something that obviously continues to last in this game. Uh, if she's still with us, please give her my best uh, and a big hug, uh, from me. I hope things are going well there in, uh, Wayneville, <laughs> Missouri, very different than Los Angeles, I, I, I would think, but still, uh, I'm sure you're finding wonderful things to do over there. Um, all right, so when we talk about the national team, the Mexican national team, yes, we have had players that have that have come over. Uh, has it has it hurt them relative to the national team? Well, you know, Chicharito is a specific type of situation, as is Carlos Vela, by the way. I, I don't think that from a pure performance perspective, the their arrival in MLS, while it might have you know had an impact, the reality is that for both of them. It was really almost their choice. Chicharito less so, but certainly from a Carlos Vela perspective and Chicharito, there's a whole lot more that's gone on behind the scenes that has nothing to do with actually kicking the ball as to why he has not been uh, with the national team. Um, Hector Herrera down there, we know has been a part of the team for a while. Uh, who I'm sure they're they are probably going to move on. Is it because he is playing in MLS or is it because just time has taken a toll? If these players were playing over in Europe, would the perception of be, them be different? Yes, obviously. We talk about this all of the time. Would the reality be different as to who they are as, as players? I, I, I don't necessarily uh, think so. You, good players are good players regardless of, uh, of where they are playing. And I'm not saying that you can't get better playing in better places and that you don't get better playing um, in this country or in this league uh, or, uh, or for this team. Um, I, I do think that there is a perception that comes from you know, Mexican soccer fans, whether they're here in the United States, and we know there's millions of them here in the United States, or uh, certainly back home in Mexico, that the players that are playing in Major League Soccer aren't as good and therefore aren't as valuable as players that are playing over in Europe. And by the way, we have that same sentiment that exists over here when it comes to the way that we look at American players. So I don't think that that is anything new, and I don't think that that has 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 changed. But in the same way, while you may hate MLS or you may hate what American soccer is, I think even the most ardent um, anti-fan, if you will, of American soccer or of MLS has to at least look at what MLS has done over the years in terms of creating opportunities and pathways and therefore depth and yes, talent and has cultivated uh, and fostered a lot of these players who have then gone on to Europe, which is where you uh, want them to be because that's where you attach value. You have to at least recognize and respect how MLS has done good, how it has helped American soccer to have now, I mean, close to 30 different teams and all of those different opportunities and all of those different youth academies and all of that different brand and like I said, pathways to success. So I think, I mean, that's a long answer to, I guess, a simple question from Orlando. I don't think that it has hurt Mexico. I don't think MLS has hurt Mexican players, and I don't think MLS has hurt uh, Mexican soccer or the Mexican nationally. As a matter of fact, I think ultimately it's only helped them, if nothing more than, you know, to poke them in the ass and to light a fire to say, hey, you better keep up. And that's why there's all these partnerships and all this stuff that's going on, whether it's the joint World Cup coming up at 26, whether it's uh, League of Nations, what are we calling the uh, the term? League's Cup. League's Cup happening the, this summer and the continued cooperation and recognition of you know stroking each other when it comes to Major League Soccer and League MX. It does have to be irksome, though. Um, most people here in the Americas, they adopt the stance that they want their players to either play in Europe or in their own domestic league to bring attention to it. And the fact that these guys like Chicharito and Carlos Vela and Hector Herrera have chosen to come to MLS instead, even removing any sort of national team aspect to it, but just, it, you know, Liga MX fans, I'm sure would love to have those guys there in Mexico. Um, so yeah, yeah you know. I, I think it, I think it's a little different and a little unique because of the incredible Mexican-American fan base that we have here. I mean, when you tell people that the most popular league in the United States is actually League MX, people sometimes don't realize how big it is, how popular it is, uh, 
and therefore how powerful it is. And we don't have that same type of expat type of situation. Um, and so, I, yeah, so I, th- I, I think it's a little apples and oranges. Fair enough. All right. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Listen, thank you uh, both to Chase and Rolando for uh, sending in those questions and um, dialing up, if you will, on the State of the Union podcast hotline. Again, that's 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297, or uh, on the social media platforms, you can use Ask Alexi. All right. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show, and I'll give you my one for the road. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. I had the pleasure this uh, this week, Mossy, of appearing on a podcast. I go on all sorts of podcasts. It doesn't matter, big, small, um, popular, not popular. It doesn't matter. I, I enjoy talking to people about the game, and there's obviously a lot of podcasts out there. I'm a podcast whore, if you will. But uh, I had the pleasure of going on a podcast called They Think Kits All Over. Kits, K-I-T-S. And these are uh, some gentlemen over there across the pond over there in, uh, in England that do a podcast about, well, as the name suggests, kits. I would call them jerseys, uniforms, but um, you know they call it kits over there. And I went on the podcast. I, I did call it <laughs> jerseys and uniforms throughout the podcast. And so we still were able to understand each other. That that's neither here nor there. Although if you've been following me on Twitter over the past couple of days, you know, you understand what I'm talking about. But it was, it was just so much fun and, uh, and, and, you know, incredible to be with these young men who um, think about the aesthetic of the game in, um, in a, a heightened way, not necessarily a different way, because I think soccer people out there in general recognize that the costume, if you will, is part of the culture. And there are plenty of sites out there that are dedicated to it, as is this podcast that is dedicated uh, to the aesthetic of soccer players over the years. And they were so jacked up and excited to talk to me, uh, not because of anything necessarily that I did on the field, other than actually at one point where what has become one of the, if not the most iconic uniforms, jerseys in the world, which is the, uh, the denim, uh, the faux denim jersey from 1994. And uh, unbeknownst to me, over the years, it has become incredibly sought after and therefore incredibly valuable in the, in the world of, uh, of jerseys and the trading that, uh, that goes on. I didn't, I mean, I guess I had an understanding that it had taken on new meaning and new life but I didn't realize that there was even, you know, the financial part of it behind it. But I spent an hour just shooting the shit with these guys about not just the the denim jersey, but all of the different ones that I wore. There's a whole, um, it's not a subculture. It's just a, a culture of people out there that spend a lot of their time talking about these things. And MLS in particular, and American soccer, to be quite honest, um, is oftentimes part of their conversation because whether we realize it or not, we actually push the envelope. We actually do things that are outside of the box. And whether it's the denim uh, uniform, whether it's uh, Sporting KC, now Sporting KC back then, Kansas City Wizards, Kansas City Wiz, with a lot of the rainbow stuff that they did back then, and even the um, the old kind of 70s uh, mesh uh, material that was used, those types of things. But, you know, they, these guys have hundreds and hundreds of jerseys in their, in their collection. And a lot of them come from not just major league soccer, but American teams that are doing it. And, you know, what's the, uh, the Mingo stuff that goes on or the list goes on and on and on. And I love that people are talking about this, that people are interested in this, and that there is this incredible aesthetic part of the game. And I know at times I scream and yell 
and we can get into heated debates about what American soccer is and what American soccer is. But certainly when it comes to not just the aesthetic, but the artistry involved in making what you hope are interesting, what you hope are lasting impressions in terms of the costumes that these players are wearing, and then by extension, that the fan base are wearing, and ones that resonate, and ones that last, and ones that pop. It is a real art. It is a real skill. And over the years, you know, the pendulum has swung to incredibly outrageous, and the more outrageous, the better, to incredibly conservative and, I guess, internationally traditional. And there's no necessarily right way about it. When it hits, it hits. It's like a song, or it's like any type type of uh, piece of art. When it hits, it hits. And it doesn't always hit, and there's plenty of flops out there. And there are plenty of times where it was one thing when it first started, and it became something else, either good or bad. It can go both ways, uh, both ways over time. But I just thought I'd give a little shout out to they think it's all over, uh, and the podcast that those guys uh, that those guys do. They had me on, and like I said, we talked for an hour. I actually went through part of the process of the design of the LA Galaxy rebrand that happened in the middle. For those that remember, that happened in the middle of what was it, two thousand six or 2007 that I was a part of. One of the proudest things that, uh, that I've done uh, in my life was that rebrand. But it was, you know, they, they were eating it up because they love to get in the weeds about these things. And if you like that, maybe take a listen to, the, listen to that. Mossy, anything before we go? I know you had a couple of things you wanted to say. Yes, we have a young team here at the State of the Union yes, podcast, including some people who are still in college. And one of them, the lovely Kiara, who is responsible for all the graphics you see, uh, during our podcast. She is graduating from college today. Amazing. Graduating yes. from Cal State Fullerton. The ceremony probably going on as we speak. She she wasn't as excited about it as I thought, but she is walking. She's wearing the gown and the hat and all that kind of stuff. And it is it's a it's a big moment, you know. I mean it it took me 26 years to finally get to that point. So that she's doing it in uh, in normal time, I guess you will. Congratulations to her. And like you said, you know, the men and women that we have that work behind the scenes that let's be honest, they work to make us look good, which is not the easiest job in in, in the world, are incredibly talented and uh, we appreciate them. And we congratulate them when they are doing things, whether it's relative to uh, their work at Fox or in their personal life like this. Graduating is a big, big deal and it should be celebrated. On the topic of females that work on this podcast, you know, our director Aaron Schechter is in New York right now. Mm -hmm. And so Gabe has stepped in and he has been absolutely sensational. There are rumors circulating that Aaron Schechter <laughs> might cut her trip short and hurry back so she doesn't lose her job. She's going to be just fine. You're, you'll be fine. Enjoy your time out there. You will still have plenty of work and certainly this job when it comes uh, uh, to the State of the Union. All right, Moss, anything else? That's it. All right, listen, keep reviewing and uh, rating and subscribing and downloading and doing all the different things that you do, whether it's uh, listening on Spotify or Apple or uh um, all the different uh, platforms that we have out there, or when you're watching us on YouTube, um, it, it's it's just it's just awesome. And each and every day, not a day goes by, whether I'm on the road or whether I'm at home, where some people don't find a way to get me a, a message about they're listening, they're watching, uh, they dig it. They don't always agree with me or you, uh, and that's okay. That's that's part of the, the deal, and actually part of the part of what I love about this. Um, but. They're watching and listening, which is very, very cool. All right, we will see you again next week. Have a wonderful time this weekend, whatever games that you are watching out there. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>